To grow your business and before you can execute any great sales process, you have to get leads first. Jesse Stoddard helps companies like yours get more clients, customers, and patients while increasing profits 24 hours per day. Attention business owners, do not hire a marketing director, marketing manager, marketing technician, or chief marketing officer until you watch this important video. This is how to find and recruit the right kind of marketing help for your growth business. Before you make one of the most expensive and risky investments in your business, you need to understand these key marketing team hiring strategies. Thinking is the hardest thing a man can do, probably the reason so few of them do it. Henry Ford. Now, what's the problem with small business owners? Well, the vast majority of people in business are good at what they do, but they never get out of the solopreneur mindset, even as their company grows to one, two million and beyond. 16 million people are doing their business as a side job still, and maybe 6 million in the U.S. are truly self-employed. Only about 1.7 million, which is a tiny fraction, become a real business. And starting a business, running a business, and scaling a business all require different mindsets, different strategies, and different techniques. For most people, this creates massive doses of stress, but it doesn't really have to. So first of all, decide what you want. What business are you really in? Are you in the home services business or are you in the marketing of a home services business? What do you want personally out of it? What's the end goal? This is going to impact this decision to the greatest degree. Are you trying to grow a large business because it excites you? Do you want to expand across the country or globally? Are you looking to franchise your excellent model? Do you want to build up literally brand recognition, etc., in order to sell the business? Do you secretly just want to escape? Something to ponder. One reason so few of us achieve what we truly want is that we never direct our focus. We never concentrate our power. Most people dabble their way through life, never deciding to master anything in particular. Tony Robbins. So here's the stages of small business. This, was, this came out several years back. I liked the graphic. I thought it was very instructive. What is a small business? Well, you ask 10 different people, you get 10 different answers. So here's a breakdown of the stages of small business and the biggest hurdle in each stage. Obviously, back when you were a solopreneur, maybe it was a side job and you wanted to become self-employed. Basically, the biggest hurdle there is just time and leads all the way up to stage five, which is a growth company doing at least three to 10 million in sales, maybe more. And then the challenges are leadership and culture. So let's go through these. When you start out, if you're only doing zero to $4,000 monthly, your biggest hurdle is time. You're just trying to quit the day, day job. And eventually, even as you get there, it's really all about leads, 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 leads. So your marketing mindset becomes all about leads from an early age, so to speak. Well, once you're kind of in the $100,000 to $300,000 annual revenue or sales level, you're considered a real new employer. You're, you're getting out there. You're growing your team. But then it becomes about sales and sales processes. You might be able to generate leads, but you really got to dial in. Can you convert them? And can you get a positive ROI from that on a steady, regular, consistent basis? And then as you move into a steady operation, more of the 300000 to $1 million, then it really becomes about marketing and service. You need to process a system. You really need to have a plan at that stage, if not sooner. 
But what's interesting is once you move to a seven-figure business and a growth company in multiple seven, multiple figures there, one to three million at least, really more to three to 10 million, something interesting happens. All of a sudden, it becomes about people and systems. And yet your mindset is still back of the solopreneur or the new employer or maybe the steady operation. And then finally, as a growth company, three to 10 million, really this, you can stay in this, all uh, depends on the industry and the specific type of business, but a growth company could be three to 30 million or 50 million. Usually in that range is where this becomes a big problem, the leadership and the culture. What do you do about it? No person will make a great business who wants to do it all himself or get all the credit, Andrew Carnegie. Something to think about is that you have to begin working in your unique ability and finding other people that work in their unique abilities in order to grow. So there you have it, the stages of a small business, depending on where you're at, is what you need to focus on. But for most of you watching this video, if you're thinking about hiring real marketing help, you're probably already in that slightly larger established business. At least you're doing 500,000 a year. And most of what I'm gonna talk about is for a business of that size who's actually already established, you're probably a steady operation or moving beyond that. At the very least, you're planning to do all this. And if you're a growth company, you definitely need to listen to the rest of this presentation. All right, for growth companies, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. So let's talk about the ways to affect gross profit, first of all. Obviously, you can reduce the cost of goods sold or COGS. You can decrease COGS. There's only so much you can do there, right? After you cut your you know, expenses, there's a point where you get diminishing returns. And so then you have to focus on increasing profits or cr increasing revenue. Those are the only ways to affect gross profit. You either decrease the cost of the goods sold or you increase the revenue. That's pretty much it. Again, there's only so much to do on the decreasing of cost of goods side. Once you've done that and you've optimized it, then what? Well, we need to focus on increasing revenue because within re increasing revenue, there's a lot of ways to do that. You can increase your new customers the number of new customers. And if you're gonna talk about that, well, we can increase new customers through advertising and sales. We can also increase new customers through referrals, all right? But what else? Well, we can also increase the customer lifetime value. If we're gonna focus on that for a second, we can increase the revenue per transaction for each customer. We can also increase the number of transactions. All right, now if we're gonna think about increasing revenue per, per transaction, we can increase the prices but we can also increase the quantity of goods and services sold. Now, if we're gonna focus on increasing the number of transactions, we can increase the purchase frequency, and we can also increase the customer lifetime. So when we look at this map, with decreasing cost of goods sold, one little thing over there in the corner of this map, but then when we talk about increasing revenue, there's a huge number of different things, huge by comparison. Really, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten different ways to increase gross revenue. And that is that is where you get the greatest impact. And this is why sales and marketing or rainmaking is always the first and most important part of any business. It's funny, usually as business owners, we kind of intuitively already know this, but we get so inundated in the mundane of the daily activity and we can't see the forest for the trees we forget that the greatest thing that got us started which is our entrepreneurial spirit which is all about creating a deal and finding new ways to increase revenue we kind of forget that and we get mired in the other part other side of the business so let's focus on increasing revenue for a second here what does that mean well first of all you're going to need a comprehensive sales and marketing strategy you may have been able to shoot from the hip to get your company off the road. You may have done it all yourself. 
you may have hired a contractor here and a, you know outsourced to an agency over there but at the end of the day if you don't have a comprehensive strategy you're not creating a predictable thing that will work long term your marketing provides leverage through creating advertising assets an advertising asset is something that can actually be used over and over again it's not a shotgun approach to just see what works and then you know change by the you know seat of your pants next week and there are different tiers that you will need to achieve in order to build a growth company that is sustainable and doesn't require you to do everything yourself. Because the purpose of business is to create a customer, the business enterprise has two and only two basic functions, marketing and innovation. Marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. Peter Drucker. He also said, the aim of marketing is to make selling superfluous. He was the father of management. So let's talk about tier one marketing. That's the foundation or the essentials. And then we build upon that with tier two marketing, which is innovation. That's more of a competitive level of marketing. And then finally, tier three marketing is domination. I'm going to go into each one of these because it impacts how you hire or who you look to join your team to build out your marketing strategy. So first of all, tier one marketing is foundational essentials. By the time you got a successful business, you're probably already doing all these, or at least some of them. A plan, most don't have that plan, and a budget, most refuse or never update it. The thing about a budget is they're kind of a waste of time because what really matters is the ROI. If I can spend a dollar and if I can invest a dollar and I can get a dollar ten in return, how many dollars do I want to spend? Well, as many as I possibly can, of course, because I got a dollar ten, just like investing. All business is is getting a return on capital. So having a budget in that sense, like to stick with it for no reason is stupid, but having an idea of what you're going to spend is good so that you can then measure each individual thing, find your ROI and increase it. You really want to increase your budget as much as you can, as long as you're getting profits, as long as it makes sense with the growth of the business. Next is you have your primary target market focus. You have to know who they are. And that sometimes is surprising to me how few businesses, even large ones, really know who their target market is. The name, rank, and serial number, traditional marketing, that stuff obviously already has to be there. And I call anything like, um, you know, like business cards and having a logo and having a brand and having a USP, unique sales proposition, and, you know, just ha having a website and having some basic SEO in place or something. These are all name ranks. It's like what everybody else does. So there's nothing special about it, but it has to be there. Your website, Google Business and other listings, citations, review sites, basic social management, all the digital stuff. Sales funnel and some basic automation for follow-up. And then your media mix, which is your asset allocation. And you're going to start testing. I think of this just like investing. If you're investing and you want to have diversity, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So why would you trust just Google Ads, for example, or just a TV ad, or just a, you know, a coupon in the mail? You know What you really are looking for is a mix of multimedia, multi-channel, multi-faceted marketing so that you can make sure that you have diversity but also always getting an ROI in each individual thing. And you're in this at this stage you're just kind of getting started. And then there's ROI calculator with analytics. So you have to actually know are you calculating each channel? Do you know your customer acquisition cost per channel? And this foundational marketing, these are things that just need to be done to get started. Other necessary evils like recruiting, job ads, and those kind of things, I include those in marketing because you're marketing for employees. You may not be marketing for, for customers, clients, or patients, but you're, you're marketing nevertheless. Now, Tier 2 marketing is where you get a little more innovative, 
And this is com what I call the competitive level. So this is where you have omnipresence. You, you're showing up everywhere to your ideal target market. When they open up their Facebook feed, they see you. When they open up their email, they see you. When they open up their mail, a snail mail, they see you. Content and lead generation systems are required for this. And then the low-hanging fruit. You know, are you working on unconverted leads? Do you have a system for follow-up? A very thorough system so that you're not losing anything in the bucket. A bucket with holes in it is kind of pointless to continue to fill, right? Well, if you're letting leads go unconverted and you're not following up with those lost leads, then you basically have holes in the bucket. Now, there's techniques like the throw under the bus. And by the way, that's a very simple technique where if one sales rep is not, you know, making the cut with this particular prospect, you can, as a manager or owner, call them up and say, hey, you know, sorry, Mrs. Smith, but, you know, Jesse, he just, um, he just didn't do the best job. And we're really sorry. I mean, he tried. He really tried. But it just didn't seem like a good fit for you and your needs. And so I, I really want to have you talk to Jared over here because, you know, Jared's really good with clients like you. And I think that he can show you a way that this sale you know, could actually happen. And I obviously wouldn't use those exact words, but that's the idea. You throw somebody under the bus and you, you let, you, you assign them somebody that's going to be more appropriate, uh, whether that's somebody on the phone or in person. And then obviously systems for outbound calls and then swapping leads and selling leads among not only the salespeople, but even other companies, even your competitors or your strategic alliance partners. There's so many things you could do there. And then there's the back end offers like the upsells, the downsells and the cross sells. Do you have a back end to your business? Do you have a way to you know, sell something to an existing customer um, to upsell something? Do you have a way to find another deal for them? Do you have a way to... Um, it, you make those offers, those one, one click upsells and those order bumps if you're e-commerce or if you're doing it online. And then referral partnerships and strategic uh, alliances and affiliates. You know, are you working with these low hanging fruit and other strategic methods to find tap into new customers and increase revenue? Now, tier three marketing is domination. This is where you're taking over the entire marketplace. You've established tier one and tier two, and now you're working at multiple target market expansion. So you have mastered one target market, one particular niche kind of client, and then you identified another one slightly different, and now you're gonna build out all those campaigns for that one too. This is where we get into sophisticated multimedia, multi-channel, multi-step campaigns. They take a lot of work to develop. There's research and development where you're testing all the time new ads. There's also second and third business opportunities. You may have a spin, a spin a biz, another business off. I worked with a uh, crawl, space, crawl space remediation company that found that they <clears throat> thought it would be very profitable to get into duct cleaning. It also would be very profitable to get into pest control. Would, you know, There's other things that they could have sold to the customer if they were willing to look at those opportunities, either in starting their own business or better yet just partnering with another business that uh, so they didn't have to start from scratch organized project management system there needs to be some major project management at this point and then leadership and team building so all of this has to be done in order to really achieve the highest level of marketing and sales to drive revenue so we have tier one which is foundations or the essentials and then you have innovation on tier two which is competitive marketing and then tier three we call domination now how do you achieve this we got to build a marketing team. So the promise of this entire presentation was to get to this. How do we build the proper and effective delegation system that we're talking about at acceptable costs? This is where it's tricky. You can blow all your money on a top level or a you know, top heavy organization where all of the 
C-level or C-suite executives make so much money that there's no money left for the, the worker bees, the soldiers, so to speak. If you got too many generals, not enough soldiers, or for the actual advertising budget or for the vendors or for the, the agency. You know, so you have to be careful how you do that as well. Let's talk about how it normally is, and it might even represent your company to this day. So there's you, the, you know, the, the founder, the, the heart and soul of the organization, the visionary. You're the CEO or the president or whatever title you give yourself. And you know, you, you, you needed somebody to help you with the bean counting, the, the financial side. So you maybe have a partner that's a CFO or maybe they're focused on bookkeeping. And sometimes it's just your office manager. So you have that bond and it, you kind of start building things. And then you have a salesperson, but the salesperson dir directly reports to you because who else are they going to report to? And then you eventually have enough going on where you have to hire some sort of a general manager or a field manager. Maybe it's a VP of operations, somebody to help you get the work done. And they're reporting and talking to you every day. And then you have a very vocal production person who's getting work done. And they're supposed to report to the GM, but they also kind of talk to you directly a lot. And then you have another salesperson who, instead of working with the, the first salesperson, for some reason, bonds with the GM and actually reports to them and, and kind of to you from time to time. And another salesperson who only works with, with the other one who's they're mentoring and a new one that only works with you and also talks to the bookkeeper and another one that works with you and the GM. And then you have a personal assistant who's also your receptionist who you make your marketing assistant because you're running out of time. And so you've trusted the most important thing in your entire business, marketing, to this low-level person that last week was serving coffee. That's typical for most small businesses, and they have a real struggle getting out of this picture. It's all a mess, and the other thing you'll notice about it is you are the bottleneck. Let's talk about a real growth company example. This is a company that has gotten beyond that, and they're actually doing it the right way. Well, first of all, there's you, the CEO, but now we have three different departments represented by three high-level people, a CFO or accountant, a COO, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Information Officer, or the General Manager, the person in charge of production. And then there's the Chief Marketing Officer, or the VP of Sales. So this represents three sections of your business that you need leadership in. You need leadership on the financial side. You need leadership on the operation side. And you need leadership on the make it rain side, which is the revenue generating side. You need to bring in money. You need to fulfill on the promise. And then you need to track it and pay your taxes. That's pretty much the three areas of any growth business that you have to master. I like to call the financials the bean counters. And the operations is the bean delivery. And the uh, marketing and sales is the bean growing. Uh, we love it, you know, love everybody in the organization, they're all required. Your job is to stay above it all and look at the big vision to continue to work on strategy and have really good people reporting to you so that you can grow the business and not just be stuck in the business. So let's talk about the, the sales and marketing side as promised. So there's this thing called a chief marketing officer, and that's the highest level marketing, C-level executive, the highest level marketing position in any company. Now, sometimes, and usually, and they should be over whoever's VP of sales or the sales manager. But sometimes, depending on your culture and how long you've been around, and usually you started with sales before you really had marketing because you did marketing yourself, the VP of sales and the sales manager might be over the chief marketing officer. This is very rare, but occasionally it can happen because they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Really, they are parallel to each other. In some companies, the structure is they're parallel, and they're both reporting to you, the owner doesn't really matter. The whole point is, is that this thing exists and you may not have been aware of it. Now, let's talk about the typical structure for a larger growth company doing probably 40 million, maybe 30, but somewhere up there where they are actually growing sophisticated. Uh, and especially, I'm going to use an example that's a little bit more like a home services business, for example. 
So there's the CEO, and they have a personal assistant or a reception, somebody that is their right-hand person just to help them stay organized. And then they hire a CMO. This is, this is a person over all sales and marketing. And then that person has a marketing manager, which is more of a technician. Sometimes it's called a marketing technician. Sometimes it's called a marketing director. Sometimes it's called a uh, marketing assistant. But it's somebody that is a tactical person that's getting the marketing done that's at CMO designs and the strategy they put together. Or they're helping on that. Now that person is going to connect to the advertising and marketing vendors. It could be a digital marketing ag agency, for example, or their direct mail agency, or the TV and the radio stations. And basically, they're going to work together to, to do lead generation primarily. And then the CMO is also responsible for all sales, so they are going to have the sales manager and the VP of sales or VP of sales reporting directly to them because it's all part of the revenue generating strategy. And then under the sales manager, you have salespeople. Okay, that is a typical structure on that side, on the revenue side, revenue increase side of the structure we talked about, all right, on that far right side of the previous slide. But here's a better set of options because that's expensive. A CMO can be very expensive. The average one, uh, according to, I think it was careers.com, is about 250000 a year plus benefits, plus bonuses, and they usually have a, a, some sort of stake in the company, whether it's equity or revenue share or something along those lines. So here's a better set. You, it's you with your personal assistant. And you have a CMO, and they have a marketing manager. And that person is, is having the advertising and, and marketing vendors. And you may want to continue. So in this example, by the way, the reason why this one's better is that that CMO might have been newer. And so you try to get a discount on them. But they're not really the type that can be in charge of sales and marketing so, or sales. So sales is reporting directly to you with their salespeople. So this is kind of a better option. Basically, this is implying that you somehow found a cheap CMO. I do not recommend this because you get what you pay for and you don't get what you don't pay for. So you could do it this way and some companies have it set up this way and that's fine. But you're not really having a high level CMO because you still have to do all the work of managing both, both the salesperson and the CMO person. So here's a lower cost, smarter solution. Now, this is lower cost and smarter. So you have your, you could have your sales manager, VP of sales, uh, you know, uh, reporting to you and their salespeople to them. And then you'll have a personal assistant or somebody in reception. So you're still in charge if this is what you're used to. Again, this is kind of a home services example. They're typically structured like this. And then you get an outsourced CMO or a fractional CMO. I'm going to call it outsourced because some people understand that. Fractional, like a fractional jet. You may not want to buy the jet, but you own a part of it and you get to use it when you want, you know, like timeshare. Okay, now this outsourced or fraction, fractional CMO uh, has also an outsourced marketing manager. Maybe they hire them on their own team. And basically it's a, it's a department. And then they uh, are going to report to your personal assistant and you get to work with the, with the CMO and they're not technically, uh, they're not technically employees. They're going to be independent contractors, but they are they're at, And nobody in your team necessarily even knows that they are outsourced. They just show up as part as the CMO. They don't, you know, nobody needs to know. It doesn't even, it's irrelevant whether they're actually their employment status doesn't matter. Uh, they're just basically outsourced. So they come in as an independent contractor, maybe like a consultant. Now, that's, that works. Um, and here's another one. Basically, the sales manager's still under the CEO and, and still the salespeople under them. But this is my favorite one because now we have an outsourced CMO, a true fractional CMO, who comes in as the CMO, as the leader of your business, and then helps you to hire an in-house marketing manager, an in-house marketing team. So this is an actual employee in, in the business. 
So they're committed to this. And it can start out usually, this is a person that might earn $15, $30 an hour, maybe up to 40. Uh, and they're more, in the beginning, you're probably only going to need them 20 to 30 hours a week. And they are actually executing the strategy that the, that the fractional CMO is creating. And the, the fractional CMO is still in charge of the KPI, still in charge of the strategy, still in charge of driving the meeting, still the leader, still the manager. But the in-house marketing manager or technician is the one who's boots on the ground. And they could be virtual, by the way. They don't actually literally have to be there. But they are the ones to get work done. So that way, you're not overpaying for low-level tasks. You don't want to pay your fractional CMO or your outsourced CMO. You don't want to pay the high rate just to have them post on social media, right? There needs to be somebody that actually gets the post done correctly or delegates the right things to the digital marketing agencies or handles all the phone calls from all the radio people trying to sell on ads, right? And then weeding through and finding if there's a good deal. There needs to be somebody that does the low level tasks uh, that are very important to get the work done. And it's also the beginning of a team. If you want to eventually hire an entire marketing organization, you start there. The outsourced or fractional CMO can help you develop that team, hire and fire, et cetera, so that you're not, you still have that one point of contact, the fractional CMO to help you figure out, or the outsourced CMO to help you figure out what is that strategy, who to hire, who to fire. And this is your transition into being a larger growth business without having to hire the CMO in-house full-time. The CMO now can be part-time. So you can grow faster with a fractional chief marketing officer. Let me, let us, my team, create, manage, and deploy a marketing strategy to help you reach your goals faster. And this is expertise you need. You don't rely on inexperienced marketers to dictate your business's overall marketing strategy. Why would you ever do that? Bring in a fractional CMO to provide a comprehensive marketing plan for your business. And it's a cost you can afford. You don't need a top-heavy organization with a full-time CMO on staff. A fractional CMO will provide you with the insights and reporting you need without the high price. And it's a self-managing executive. A CMO will lighten your workload by managing all aspects of your company's marketing department, from vendors to employees. The CMO acts as an executive, but you're getting the best of both worlds, okay? So if you wanna learn more about this and the fractional CMO concept and really dive into what is a fractional CMO exactly, go to stoddardagency.com and we, under our services, we have a, a subpage called fractional CMO, or just contact us and, and ask us and we'll tell you all about the fractional CMO program. Thank you and have a terrific day. Thanks for listening to the Get Leads First podcast. To find more ways to generate leads for your business, visit getleadsfirst.com.